morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We're excited that you're here. Again, it's a, it's been a really nice kind of weekend for me because this is kind of the weather that I like, a little rainy, a little cool. It's getting a little bit closer to sweater weather, so we're doing good. But anyway, today's kind of a different day for us at Crossroads, and you may say, well, what's different about it? Well, if you're visiting with us today, uh, we want you to know that we're doing something a little different this morning. You see, normally we teach in a series, and when I say series, uh, a series is really a group of messages that are related. Uh, we build the messages around a common theme or a common topic, uh, and we just trust those messages to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and knowing that when those messages come together, they have a common purpose. But today is different because today we're not in a series. Uh, this is a what I call a standalone message when I talk to the staff or talk to key volunteers. I say this is just going to be one of those standalone messages. And with that being said, that's the thing that makes this very different, uh, this day so important and special in the life of our church. Because today can be what I call one of those defining moment kind of days. And I'm going to tell you as we get started this morning, we're going to look at one of those stories that that I think most of you in this service anyway are very familiar with. This is one of those that maybe you don't even have to have been to church very much, but this is one of those stories that you've heard. Uh, and, and again, it's an, actually a story that's found in the book of Matthew. Uh, and again, the book of Matthew is the first book that kind of gives us an account of the life of Jesus. So if you're not very familiar with the Bible, uh, this is kind of just a random saying that I've used before, but if you split the Bible in half and go to the right, that's where you're going to find Matthew. So again, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's where you're going to find Matthew. And, and let me just say something, because it's really interesting when I think about it. Uh, if you don't read the Bible, and if you're looking for a place to start reading the Bible, and I were to tell you a place to start, the place I would tell you to start is to start reading the Bible in the book of Matthew. Now, the reason why I think this is so important is because Matthew was a tax collector. And in the culture in which he's writing and in the culture in which Jesus was living, a tax collector was not one of the good guys. And here's what's really interesting, because many of you think, you know, you look at your past, you look at something you've done, you look at your life, and you know you just don't think I add up to all the other people around me. But here's what's really interesting. Matthew was a bad guy. He was a tax collector. But at the very same time, Jesus trusted him to tell the story of his life. So here's what happened. And, and again, I'm going to tell you, th this is so good, so just hold on. Uh, Jesus had a cousin, and the cousin of Jesus was a guy by the name of John the Baptist. A and John got the name John the Baptist because John went around baptizing people. A and one of the things that I like, I like about John is John was like several of you in this service. John had a big mouth. John was somebody who was talking all the time, and with a big mouth, he had a habit of saying those things that were on his mind. And that meant that he was guilty of saying, sometimes he was saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. So with that being said, John knew a lot about a lot of people. But specifically, John knew a lot about this guy named Herod. And when we're talking about Herod, 
we're talking about the same Herod who would be the one that butchered the babies just after Jesus was born. See, Herod had done something that Herod shouldn't have done. Herod had married his brother's wife. And in the Jewish cult custom or the Jewish culture, marrying your brother's wife wasn't something that you were totally supposed to do. It actually totally went against all of the Jewish customs. So John the Baptist is out doing his thing, baptizing people, and he's talking all the time. Well, when John the Baptist was out doing the things that he would do, John the Baptist would always talk about Herod and some of the things that Herod had done. He would talk about Herod, and he would talk about Herod's wife. Now, Herod knew that John was doing what he was doing, and he didn't like it. And not only did he not like it, Herod's wife who was named, get this, get this, get this, Herodias. I mean, how would you like to go? I mean, how would you like for that to be your wife's name? I'm Herod. This is my wife, Herodias. I mean, that's just wrong anyway. But again, Herodias, the wife of Herod, didn't like it either. And they were just tired of being used as a sermon illustration, as kind of like my family is, you know. Again, they were tired of being a sermon illustration whenever John the Baptist was out preaching. So here's what happened. Herod and Herodias, they have John the Baptist arrested. And because of all the talking that John the Baptist had been doing about Herod and his wife Herodias, they really had this itch. They had kind of this thing where they just really wanted to put John the Baptist to death. But they wouldn't do that because they knew the people loved John the Baptist. And if they were to put John the Baptist to death then Herod and his wife knew that they would have this whole different set of problems on their hands. So Herod really doesn't know what to do. But his wife, Herodias, is sick and tired of John the Baptist. So she just makes a personal decision that, that whatever it takes, she's going to get rid of John the Baptist. And this is where this story gets really, really interesting. Because here's the thing that happens. One night, Herod throws a party. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a, a big, I, you know, I mean, it's Halloween today. It's kind of like a, a crazy Halloween party where uh, Herod invites all of the men. It's kind of a man's party. It's kind of like a, 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 a you know, a football party get together we're going to do some things we're going to watch some things and we're going to have some food and we're going to have some drinks but this party gets a little out of hand because at this party they decide to invite in some dancers and this is in the bible i promise you exotic dancers and one of the exotic dancers just happens to be Herod's niece, which would have been Herodias's daughter by Herod's brother. Everybody tracking with me? So here's Herod. Here's all of his men friends. And in comes his niece. I wanted to get me some of those things like that, but I wasn't willing to go get those. You know what I'm saying? 
And in comes his niece, and she's doing this exotic dance for all of the men. And the dance is so good that all of these men start throwing money at her and whooping and hollering, and it's crazy. And all of this gets Herod worked into a frenzy. And since Herod has had a couple of twisted teas with all of his guy friends, he's feeling good. And he goes out on a limb because he's a little tipsy. And he says to his niece, who is the exotic dancer, Oh, baby, you're just too much. And because you're just too much, I'm going to give you whatever it is that you want. I'll give you anything. Now, do you see where this is going? I mean, most of you in this service, even this service, think the Bible is boring. It's not. You just don't read it. So Herod tells his niece that he will do anything that she wants. And she says, hold that thought, I'll be right back. So the dancing daughter goes out and finds her mother. And tells her mother that Herod, her husband, has said that she will give me anything or he will give me anything that I want. And she says to her daughter, his niece, go back and tell your uncle that you want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And now, my friends, we have a mess. You've heard that saying, right, on a silver platter? This is where that saying originates. I told you the Bible's fun. This is where that comes from. So the daughter goes back and she tells Herod that she has decided what she wants. And she tells Herod, I want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And here's the problem. Since everybody in that party had heard Herod tell her that he would give her whatever she would ask for, he's backed into the corner. And he must give her the very thing that she's asking for. And listen to me this morning. I want you to understand this. Herod didn't want to do it. Herod did not want to do what she asked, but he was forced to do it. So Herod sends in the executioner, and they find John the Baptist, and they drag him out, and they cut his head off, and they literally put the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. So here's what we're doing. We're picking up the story where Jesus has just received that news. Jesus has just heard the news that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been executed because of this crazy sequence of events, a crazy sequence of events that never should have happened. And where we're diving into this story 
is we're diving into this story at a place where we find Jesus. But we don't just find Jesus. We find Jesus in mourning. Jesus is dealing with the death of John. And if you remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the one who told everybody that that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And now Jesus finds out what has happened. And this is where this whole sequence of events begins. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, starting at verse 13. And here's what it says. When Jesus heard what had happened, that's the execution of his cousin John. When Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Again, remember, Jesus is in mourning. Jesus is trying to get away. He wants to be by himself so that he can figure out this this whole sequence of events. He wants to deal with the loss of his cousin in only the way that he can. So he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. But hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So so here's Jesus trying to to process the loss of his cousin John the Baptist. And Jesus gets in a boat, cutting across the end of the lake, the end of the Sea of Galilee. And and the crowds can see him from the shore. And and they're just going along the coastline. As long as they can keep him in an eye's view, they're watching him. And as he tries to make his way across the end of the Sea of Galilee, they go from town to town to town, keeping their eye on him. The crowd isn't willing to give him any privacy at all. And the reason why they're not giving him privacy is because they have heard of the things that Jesus have done, the things that he has done, the people that he has touched, the miracles that have happened in the presence of Jesus. So they're keeping a bird's eye view on him as he makes his way across the Sea of Galilee, but they're staying on the land, going from town to town, and they're keeping a watch on Jesus. Verse 14 says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, in spite of the fact that he was in mourning, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now think about this. Even though Jesus was tired, even though Jesus was in mourning, Jesus gets out of the boat, and what does he do? He goes right back into ministry mode. And he says, let's just line these people up and let's get their needs taken care of. Verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, Jesus, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. What happens? The sun starts to go down. The crowd is large. And the disciples figure out, you know what, we've got to get these people on their way because we know that they're going to need something to eat. Now, here's the thing that that Matthew's going to tell us a little later, and I, I want you to remember that I said this. 
we're going to figure out that this crowd is not just a little crowd. This is a crowd that actually numbers into the thousands. And why would it be thousands of people that are following Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because if you knew that you could get within 10 feet of somebody who could heal you, you would do everything that you could to find him. And you would bring your family, and you would bring your friends. You would bring everyone that you know that was sick. If you knew that you could get close to somebody who could help them. Because everywhere that Jesus went, this is the way it was. Everywhere that Jesus went, every town that he went to, people would come out to hear him speak just to be close to him. They wanted to be close to him, and they wanted to be close to his disciples. So now you have thousands of people who have come out of nowhere. And the sun's about to set, and the disciples of Jesus say, Jesus, we're about to have a problem. This is about to get real. We've got to do something with all of these people. But here's the thing we have to remember when we look at the story. Jesus is totally in ministry mode. And he's touching and healing and doing what Jesus does. He's not paying attention to the circumstances. Visibly, it looks like he's not paying attention to the circumstances. But the disciples are concerned with what they see happening. So the disciples are trying to relate to Jesus that, hey, look, here we are. We're way out here in the middle of nowhere, and it's getting late, and you've got to understand, Jesus, there's no food, and all of these people, these are thousands of people, you need to tell them to go home because they need to go eat. And see, we really don't know what motivated the disciples but nevertheless, they're trying to get the crowd, they're trying to get the people to, to move along. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they needed a break. We don't know. But in verse 16, here's what it says. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You. You give them something to eat. You, 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 you give them something to eat. And, and see, this is the place that the drama really begins. Thousands of people, families, all out in the middle of nowhere. These people have just been following Jesus around the end of the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden the sun's about to set. And they need to go because this large group of people, they didn't come prepared to eat. And, and the thing that we see in the story is nobody is arguing about the need. Nobody's arguing about the fact that these people need to eat. Neither Jesus nor the disciples are disputing the need. Nobody's arguing about the issue. But the real issue at hand is this, how? How is it going to happen? 
And, and Jesus looks at his disciples. He looks at his followers. And he says to them, these people don't need to go away. You do it. You feed them. And I think in that moment when Jesus told them, you give them something to eat, you do it. I, I think in that moment that those disciples did something that all of us have done at some point in our lives. I mean, I mean we, we probably don't find ourselves on the same scale as the disciples. But we find ourselves saying the same thing as the disciples said. And we say, well, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. There's something that needs to be done. Yes, I, I'm not disputing the fact, Randy, that it needs to be done. But, but I can't do that. I'm just not capable of doing that. It's a time issue. It's a talent issue. I just can't do it. I mean, Jesus, you're going to have to come up with another plan. We can't do that. I mean, how are we going to feed them? We're not able to feed them. And the story goes on in verse 17. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Now, again, look at verse 17. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. That's what the disciples said. In other words, you know what they're saying? I'm going to help you understand what they're saying. They're basically saying the disciples of Jesus, the followers, those closest to him were saying, you know what? We don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes to feed these people. Jesus, we're not arguing that there's a need that the people need to be fed. We're not arguing at all about the need. What we're saying is we don't have what we need to accomplish what you have asked us to accomplish. And then Jesus says this in verse 18. Bring them here to me. The fish and the bread. In other words, bring me that. Hand, hand over that. Hand over to me the fish and the bread. Bring me what you have. Bring everything that you have to me, Jesus is saying to his disciples. Bring to me all of your capacity. And let me have everything that you have. And let me touch what you think is not enough to get the job done. And look at verse 19. And he directed the people to sit on the grass. Now here stands Jesus. And around him are the 12 disciples. And they're looking over their shoulders going, what are we going to do? Look at the rest of that verse. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples 
and the disciples. Now, 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 now stop right there. Imagine that moment. You are one of the 12 disciples who are facing thousands of people who are sitting down on the grass. You are lined up and Jesus takes the fish and the bread and he breaks it up and he gives it to you just a little piece. There are 12 of you, five loaves, two fish. He starts to break it up and he gives it to you and behind you are thousands of people. What are you going to do? I mean, when Jesus hands you a piece of fish and a piece of bread, are you kind of looking at him going, am I supposed to eat this? I mean, surely I'm not supposed to turn around, Jesus. John, you turn around first. You turn around first. Because if this goes the way we think it's going to go, we're going to look like idiots. John, what do you have? I have a fish head. What do you have? I have the middle of a loaf of bread. And there's a huge crowd behind us. And Jesus prays and he hands it out and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples, as the verse says, gave them to the people. And in this moment, we see a principle. In this moment, we see a dynamic that I'm going to be honest with you this morning and tell you, I probably cannot communicate correctly this principle or this dynamic. But this is the principle, the very principle that we see being used even in this building. The principle that God is using in this moment is the same principle that God has used throughout the history of the church to accomplish what he has accomplished for 2,000 years through people and through his local church. Because here's what happened. The disciples of Jesus took what they had. And they did with what they had the only thing they knew to do. And then Jesus intervened and did what only he can do. And something that was beyond their capabilities, the capability of the disciples, something that was beyond their capabilities, happened the short version is they did what they knew to do and then Jesus did what only he can do the disciples knew what they I mean they just knew what they had to do I've got a little bit of fish and I've got a little bit of bread. Okay, I'm, I'm going to start to pass out this little bit of bread and this little bit of fish. The disciples of Jesus basically said, I'm just going to turn around and I'm going to begin to do what I know to do. And in the midst of that, Jesus intervened to begin to accomplish what only he can accomplish. 
And you know what's, listen, listen, you know what's interesting about this? This is the very reason why you're here this morning. Let me, let me, let me tell you your story. Because regardless of who you are in this auditorium this morning or who you are listening online or watching online, I, might, I may not know you personally, but I know your story. Individually, I don't know your story, but somewhere in your past, somebody in your past did something very simple. Somebody did something very ordinary. And basically, all that was required of that person in your past was a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. Because that person somewhere in your past, listen to me, like the disciples, they did something that only they could do. And as you look back, as you look back right now on that relationship, on that CD that they gave you, on that message, on that invitation, that breakfast, that lunch, you start to realize that that individual in your past, listen to me, they did what only they could do. And you look right now at your life and you look back and you realize that now, today, October 31st of 2021, I'm a different person. I'm a better person. I'm a more connected to God person. I'm a person who has developed a passion for Jesus, a passion to, to read the Bible. And the only way I can explain it is that somebody in my past invested a little bit of time in my life. And then after that, God did something. And the person who did it, let me tell you, they didn't take credit for it. And I can't explain it. But people are still right now overwhelmed that you are in your life right now the person that you are. I mean, people look at you this morning and they're still amazed that you come to church. I mean, you could have stayed home. They can't believe you're still coming to church after all the things that you've been through the last 17 months. And they look at your life and they think, you know, any day now this church thing is going to wear off when it comes to your life. And you can't explain it. You can't explain it. But let me tell you what happened. Somebody in your past did what only they could do. And then God did what only he could do. And God began working. God began working in your life. And the thing that ignited it, the thing that gave it a start in your life was somebody doing what only they could do, and then God began to do what only he could do. See, here's the thing I think we miss. Do you realize this is the very way that the church has been growing since it started? This is the key to life change. And right there on that afternoon, 
on the hillsides of the Sea of Galilee, the disciples of Jesus get to experience it. The disciples of Jesus took what was placed in their hand and they turned towards that massive crowd and they did what they could do. And at the end of the day, Jesus did something that only Jesus could do. And you know how the story ends. Look at verse 20. Matthew tells us that they all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Verse 21 says, the number of those who ate was about 5,000. Here's where we miss this. I want to drive this home. was about 5,000 men and add to that the women and the children. And here's what I need you to know. And here's what Crossroads needs. We're about to enter one of the busiest and best times of the year for us at Crossroads. And there's no doubt that this year things are not like they have been in the past. But here's what I need you to do. I need about, a one, uh, about 100 of you. Now, remember, we're talking two services now, people listening, people watching online, people who haven't come back. But I need about 100 of you to jump in and help me with the 100 box project. It's one of the biggest and the best things that we've done in the history of this church. I need you today or next Sunday or in one of the upcoming Sundays to visit the table that's right outside this back door and, and you're going to find a brochure there and you're going to sign a, find a sign-up sheet and you're going to find boxes and you're going to find instructions that tell you exactly what you have to do. Because since 2009, we've literally filled thousands of boxes one year alone we filled between eight and nine hundred of those boxes and in those boxes are staple items which put with other items that people may have in their house they can make multiple meals during the christmas season So what I decided this past week after last Sunday, I, I mean, I kind of had an idea where I might be going. I said, you know what, we, we need to start the 100 Box Project early this year. And why would we do that? Because of all this supply chain mess. It's something we knew we needed to start early. I needed to bring this to your attention early so you could start filling your boxes. We can't put this off, people. We have to meet every need that's presented to us. And you've heard me tell the story before because, you know, we got involved with Christmas for All, which basically takes care of Christmas present needs for, for kids in our community who, whose parents maybe struggle, you know, as I said, maybe, maybe struggle to, to get the money together to buy their presents for their children. Well, what happened 
back years ago, about 2009, is one day Linda Schink, who, do, who no longer, she's retired from Christmas for All Now, she called me and she said, Randy, she's, I, I don't even remember how, exactly how this happened, but she said, we have a need. So we have these young families calling us, wanting to get Christmas gifts for their children. But then at the same time, we have elderly people who are calling us and basically saying, can you do something for me? Because Social Security and the, the, the money that they were getting on a monthly basis wasn't enough to get them through the month with food to eat. They weren't looking for toys. They were looking for somebody to help them. So Christmas for All was basically getting presented with a need that there were these elderly people in our community who needed help during the holidays, during the winter months with food. And Linda told me, and I think I can say this without you know, breaking any confidence, she said, Randy, we've given these to other churches in the past, and what we have found out is we gave it to the church, and they didn't do it. And I told her, I said, Linda, you give me the need and we will meet every need. And let me tell you, since 2009, we have met every need that has been presented to us by Christmas for All and by other people in our community who have brought names to us who also needed help. And let me tell you, I, I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be difficult, but here's the thing. You do what you can do. And we're going to trust God to do the rest. You do what only you can do. You be one of those disciples and you, you take a, a, a middle piece of a loaf of bread and a fish head and you just turn around and you just begin to do what only you can do. And somehow Jesus is going to intervene. And in 2021, Crossroads will meet every need that's presented to us. So start filling your boxes. Sign up. Think about it. Pray about it. Let me tell you, you don't have to pray about it. Pick a box up today. Pick your list up today. We're going to have them out there every week. You know what's interesting? I posted this on our Facebook page this week, and already I have people who don't even attend this church want to help. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. I need some of you to do exactly what they did that day there on that hillside of the Sea of Galilee. I need some of you in this service right now to say, you know what? I I'm not educated in church stuff. I'm not equipped in church stuff. I don't have time for all this stuff. I don't know how to do it. It's intimidating. It's overwhelming. But we need some of you to say to your heavenly father and your church that, you know what? I'm going to do what I can do. And I'll do what I can do, trusting that God can do something significant through me. And if you will do that, I can almost guarantee you that I know what will happen. Because this is the way your heavenly father has grown and blessed and facilitated the local church year after year. This is how it happens. Look at the screen behind me. This is the way it happens. What begins as an obligation often becomes a passion. We need some men and we need some ladies who will sit down with girls and boys and teach them lessons on Sunday morning through the grid of Scripture. 
And not just through the grid of Scripture, through the grid of your personal experience. And we need you to do that in Wambaland and Upstreet. Because we want to help kids avoid stepping on the landmines that you stepped on. We want them to avoid some of the experiences that you had and you wish you had never experienced. We need you helping us partner with parents to help them understand, their children understand that God loves them and God created them and God has a plan for their life. And there comes a point in their life of every child that, that, that they're not going to hear what their parents say. But you, as their teacher in Wombaland or Upstreet, you become the mouthpiece. You get to be the voice. You get to be the person that God uses to have influence in the life of that child. Because somewhere along the way, you said, God, I don't know if I can do it. But God, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. You did what you knew you could do. And then God knew, and then God did what only he could do. This is what we're saying. We need some of you to do what men and women have done throughout generations. And what some of you are doing in this church right now. Because we all have a story. And you could probably tell your story this morning. You can look back at your life and you can remember somebody who played a part in your life. You can remember the person who took time out and made the call and did what only they could do. And that's the very reason why this church has made it this far is because people have said, God, I'm going to do what I can do. God, I will do what I can do and then I'm going to trust you, God, to do what only you can do. And honestly, what I'm asking you to do this morning is to get out of the bleachers and get into the game. Again, maybe some of you give money. That's great. But what we need you to do is take the next step. But let me warn you what you see behind me. What begins as an obligation quickly can become a passion. Because most of those who start doing it, keep doing it. They look back on their time with those kids. Those students, whatever it was they did. And they say, that was the most significant thing that I've ever done. Other than raising my own children. Because never before did I believe that God could use me in such a significant way. And now you can't cry me out of here. And again, for me even, it kind of began as an obligation. And now it's become a passion. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Would some of you take a slice of time and would you lay that over our approach to doing ministry? And would you be willing to know what I know? And the thing that I know is that if you do what you can do, then you get to watch what God can do through you. 
And you say to me, why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. It's important because we need to open Wamba Land and Up Street at the 830 service. A few weeks ago in this service, we had 17 children. And let me tell you what I've been told. I've been told that some of the people that you haven't seen back at Crossroads, now let me just say this, I'm going to be honest with you, and you know I am bold-faced honest. Some of the people that you don't see at Crossroads, they don't come here anymore. They've gone somewhere else. But at the very same time, some of the people that you're not seeing are not coming back because we don't offer children's environments at the service time that they want to attend. Now, again, we could fight all day about, well, they just need to come at 10. I mean, I get it. But we need Wambaland and Upstreet at 8.30 and at 10 o'clock. So here's what we're saying. If you're not currently serving on one of our, our, our strategic service teams, we call them strategic because we place those teams strategically in our organization to move people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you aren't currently serving, would you at least please consider it? Would you give me some options? Would you give Amy, who heads up Wombaland and Upstreet, would you give her some options? And let us find a place that fits your schedule. As you just take a little bit of your time, which I know is your most valuable commodity, and you overlay that with our ministry strategy, I believe that you're doing what you can do and that you will experience God doing what only He can do through you. Because this is the very way your Heavenly Father has worked for the local, through the local church from the very beginning. See, those disciples who were standing there on that hillside that day, they had no idea what they were in store for. And in much the same way, I believe that you don't have any idea what's in store for you. It's just us simply saying, God, I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to trust you, God, to do what only you can do. And that is to change a heart, to change a life, to redirect a person back in your direction. Because let me tell you this morning, if there's anything that Crossroads desires in 2022... It's another year where we can provide great environments where people can learn and grow and become fully devoted followers of Christ. Let me, let, let me be really honest with something right here. The one thing that you need to know is that sometimes myself, and Amy, we may drop the ball. You may have filled out a card. You may have told us something. And you know what? You may have felt like we have let you fall through the cracks and we didn't get back with you and we didn't let you know. And you know what? Let me, let me, can I just be honest with you? That very well may be true. Because for the last 17 months, for the most part, 
it's just me and her. Trying to cover every base that we have to keep this thing moving forward. And it's been, it's been difficult. It's been depressing. I told somebody yesterday, there have been times when it's terribly depressing, but we understand and we know that eternity hangs in the balance and we're not giving up. And I want us to get back to and exceed the place that we were before COVID. And it's going to have to go back to what we said last week, you risking more with your conversations and with your prayers and with your generosity. Let me tell you this morning, I want to say this, and I want to say this very candidly. You can't put another saddle on me, people. I am about to break down. I can't do any more. I need you to help me doing what only you can do. And then together we're going to trust God to do what only he can do. And that is exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask for, right? Let's pray. God, we take this time to come before you. Loving the fact that we can go to Scripture and we can get a real authentic story that tells us of a real-life circumstance. But not only does it show us a real-life circumstance, it shows us, God, how you work. It gives us a principle. It gives us a dynamic. It gives us something that we can take and we can apply to our own lives. So, God, this morning, we, we, we take from this crazy story that we read from the life of John the Baptist and how that dovetails into that miracle that we see there that day on the side of the Sea of Galilee. That God, again, when we do what only we can do, when we take what we have, our time, our talent, our treasure, and, and we give it and we trust you, that it's in that moment that you do what only you can do. So God, as we enter this season and we seek as a church to, to feed hundreds, if not thousands of people in our community, feed them a meal that nourishes their body, at the very same time, we seek to, to feed the, the lives of our Upstreet and Wombaland children. To give them a spiritual meal that feeds and nourishes their spirit. That allows them to understand and to grow that there's a God who loves them and cares about them. And that they can become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And the cycle continues. They do what only they can do, and they trust God that you do what only you can do. So God, this morning, we just come to you as a body, as individuals, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, knowing that this is a place that we can invest that. We're going to do what we can do. And in that moment, we're going to trust you to do what only you can do. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name.
You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. And you're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. You are faithful and true. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. Come on, we sing. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let. people who are coming in they may not have seen you you may not have seen them greet them have a great week and we'll be here next week see you then
Ability to be loved. 